My friends, 10 days ago, we all watched in horror as our capital and our democracy were threatened by violence and insurrection. Blessedly, our democracy continues. It has withstood these assault of lies and insurrection so far. Now we've seen coups overturn governments in other countries. Stuff like this happens elsewhere, right? But not here, not in America. Violence has always been seen politically and culturally like a last resort. Was this a last resort? Armaments and even righteous violence can give people power, but it's not lasting or real power. It doesn't change hearts and minds. It doesn't bring others to your way of thinking. It's not rule by consent. It's rule by power. And it merely asserts strength over weaker, oppressed, or unarmed people. So how do we change people's hearts and minds? What are some alternative peaceful ways for people who are unhappy with the things they are to protest? What are the nonviolent methods to bring about change? Now, certainly nonviolence doesn't have the potential to bring about change with the speed that slaughter and violence does. Yet unlike transformation by force, nonviolent action can bring about more lasting change. It has the capacity to transform hearts and minds by getting buy-in rather than by ruling by oppression and fear. Now, of course, as people of faith, violent means go against everything that we stand for as Unitarian Universalists. Violence doesn't honor people's inherent worth and dignity. It doesn't create a world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, as you see on my wall behind me, nor does it respect or value our interdependent web of existence. If we hold in our mind our interconnectedness, our oneness as living, breathing beings on this earth, we wouldn't want to use violence against one another or our earth. Because perpetrating violence against another in word or action actually harms our own bodies, hearts, and spirits. These are the teachings of our great spiritual leaders like Jesus and the Buddha. Gandhi called the Buddha the greatest teacher of nonviolence. In fact, the first of the five Buddhist precepts requires not killing any living being. The Buddha exemplified compassion and peace. And likewise, when Roman soldiers came to take Jesus to his execution, he didn't fight back. Instead, he chastised one of his followers for defending him with a sword. Jesus insisted that those who live by the sword die by the sword. And he taught his followers to offer no resistance when confronted with violence. Instead, he nobly asked them to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But Jesus and the Buddha taught nonviolent resistance, not meekness, which is what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was advocating for too. And as we honor him this weekend, we lift up his legacy of nonviolence. 
Dr. King was deeply influenced by his spiritual mentor, Howard Thurman, who introduced him to nonviolence in college. Thurman had visited India in 1936 and met Mahatma Gandhi, who taught him about nonviolent opposition. Gandhi frequently used nonviolent means to further his agenda through hunger strikes, silence, and sit-ins. Thurman, a theologian, scholar, and mystic, thought we shouldn't let other people's violence or degrading words invade our inner personal sanctuary of peace and wisdom. His theology emphasized grounding yourself in your own inherent dignity and worth and not letting anyone take that from you. Martin Luther King, influenced by Thurman, met Gandhi in 1959 and returned from India a fully devoted follower of nonviolence. King and Thurman sometimes called themselves nonviolent revolutionaries. They believe that strength comes from a connection to the eternal within. King had also come across principles of nonviolence by reading one of our Unitarian forefathers, Henry David Thoreau's essay on civil disobedience in college. And this opened his eyes to the idea of peacefully refusing to cooperate with an evil system. In King's first book, Strive Toward Freedom, he wrote true pacifism or nonviolent resistance is a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. He believed that the Christian doctrine of love operating through the Gandhian method of nonviolence was one of the most potent weapons available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom. Now, though Dr. King had learned intellectually about nonviolent action, one of his first lived experiences of nonviolence was actually the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955. After Rosa Parks's arrest, for refusing to sit in the back of the bus, the bus boycott continued for 13 months. And it eventually brought about the US Supreme Court ruling that segregation on public buses was unconstitutional. It was a visible example of how coordinated nonviolent mass protest could bring about change. Now King initially saw nonviolence as a strategy but soon it became a lifestyle for him. In the face of objections by Stokely Carmichael Michael, and others from the Black Power Movement, King nevertheless held onto his firm belief that change would not be brought by violent means. He believed that the beauty of nonviolence is that in its own way and in its own time, it seeks to break the chain reaction of evil. If we face evil and hatred with love, he felt, we disrupt the cycle of violence. In his speech, where do we go from here, chaos or community? King said, I believe that every person who believes in nonviolent resistance believes somehow that the universe in some form is on the side of justice that there is something unfolding in the universe, whether one speaks of it as an unconscious process or whether one speaks of it as some unmoved mover or whether someone speaks of it as a personal God, there is something in the universe that unfolds for justice. Now, as many of us know, King was often heard paraphrasing our Unitarian forefather, abolitionist Theodore Parker's 1853 sermon, 
when he said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. But he was using that phrase to encourage nonviolence and inspire people not to lose heart and faith in this slower method of change. But most importantly, nonviolence for King was about love. So let's hear thoughts about nonviolence and the power of love directly from King himself for a moment. So what does nonviolent action, which is sometimes referred to as people power or nonviolent struggle really look like? Before the election, I attended several workshops on nonviolent action to address potential election unrest. Now, naively, I'd always thought of nonviolent action as simply showing up at protests and remaining peaceful, when taunted or provoked by violence, remaining calm and centered. But from the Albert Einstein Institute, I learned that there are actually at least 198 different methods of nonviolent protest and persuasion. And since I don't plan to list all of them here, I'm gonna put links to more information in our chat later and on our Facebook page at the end of the service. But please allow me to give you a little overview. Basically nonviolence involves symbolic protests, non-cooperation and defiance through acts of omission or commission. Acts of omission require doing things such as refusing or withdrawing from usual behaviors whereas acts of commission involve doing things people don't usually do or that may be forbidden. Now there are three broad categories of nonviolent action, nonviolent protest and persuasion, non-cooperation and nonviolent intervention. So let's explore a few of these and I ask you to wait to click the link until the end of the service. The first category of nonviolent protest and persuasion can be achieved through formal statements such as public speeches, statements, letters of opposition or support, or group petitions. Now, many of us have participated in such statements or petitions, whether it's a letter to the local city council or appeals to the government on legislation like our citizens' climate lobby has been doing. Communicating the message with a wider audience is key through articles and newspapers, journals, social media, TV, movies, banners, posters, and pamphlets. And you're going to laugh, but they even suggest sky writing as a method, which I guess is planes writing messages through their contrails in the sky, or perhaps pulling giant banners behind them along the oceanfront, as they often do along the south coast. Showing up in groups at depositions, lobbying efforts, picketing, and even mock awards are other methods of nonviolent protest. Putting pressure on individuals through regularly showing up and holding vigils outside offices is a way to make a statement. And then there are symbolic acts such as prayer, worship, the displaying of flags and wearing of symbols. Think of our yellow side with love t-shirts or like my stole here today and our banners. Using art to paint walls like the large images of George Floyd that have gone up on the sides of buildings throughout our country are another way to keep reinforcing your message. Or street art like the giant Black Lives Matter sign now painted on Freedom Plaza outside the White House. 
Of course, drama, music, drumming and singing are effective ways of bringing across a message nonviolently too. The song we just sang together, We Shall Overcome, is a popular way to lead nonviolent protest. This was the theme song on the March on Washington on August 28, 1963, at which Dr. King spoke his I Have a Dream speech when 250,000 people sang it together. And it's also used regularly by labor activists and other protest movements. People gathering and singing songs of resistance and strength invites bravery. Could you feel it summoning up something in you? And it makes a statement. Songs have always helped muster courage and a sense of community. In fact, I recently saw the film Harriet about Harriet Tubman's life. Throughout the movie, you see how songs were used as secret messages of courage, resistance and hope during enslavement and during the Underground Railroad. This is why we have such a rich collection of songs from the African-American tradition because songs were a way to bring solidarity, hope and comfort to oppressed people. Then processions from marches and parades to pilgrimages and motorcades are another way to protest nonviolently. We need only think of the many recent marches for women, for science, for climate reform and racial justice that many of us have participated in over the past few years to remember how large marches can bring attention to and strengthen those standing for that cause. And though they may not bring about immediate change, marches nevertheless highlight and bring to public notice the issues at hand. In fact, here's a fun fact. Research shows that only 3% of a population participating in sustained nonviolent action can create a tipping point and change society. So my friends, let's keep marching. Public assemblies such as honoring the dead, public lamentation or holding demonstrative funerals, as well as leading teach-ins are another way to bring attention to a cause. Equally powerful methods are methods of withdrawal and renunciation, such as walkouts, silence, and renouncing honors. In addition to methods of nonviolent protest and persuasion, there are tactics of social and economic non-cooperation like boycotts, strikes, and the suspension of social or sports activities. We need only think back to August last year when the NBA canceled its games for a few days to protest yet another police shooting of an unarmed black man, Jacob Blake, in front of his three children. There is even protest immigration by leaving your home country to demonstrate against a particular regime like Salman Rushdie did. There are methods to oppose large corporations such as the withdrawal of bank deposits, investments, and as we saw just this week, the refusal to do business with organizations who contravene our values. Several major corporations have pulled out of their agreements with the Trump Organization after last week's attacks. And of course, there are nonviolent actions by governments when they form treaties or withdraw withdraw from treaties. And I was so excited to get back into the Paris Climate Treaty this week. And there are other ways of placing embargoes or ending trade agreements. Even economic shutdown is a form of nonviolent social action. And then as we've seen just over the past week, there are approaches of political non-cooperation by rejecting authority, 
speeches advocating resistance or boycotts of legislative and government bodies. And there's the taking down of symbols and government propaganda, such as the dismantling of Confederate statues that we've witnessed in the past few years. And then there are citizens' alternatives, such as civil disobedience and methods like sportsmen taking a knee to object to racial injustice and bringing attention to ongoing police brutality. We've also seen nonviolent action by government personnel, such as whistleblowers and the resignation and selective refusal of assistance by government aides. And then of course, there's deliberate inefficiency and selective non-cooperation by leaders that we've seen so well modeled by Mitch McConnell over the past few years. And there's also international governmental action and pressure in diplomatic re relations through severance of diplomatic ties, withdrawal from international organizations and the refusal of membership in international bodies. Finally, my friends, there are numerous methods of nonviolent intervention. Psychological methods such as fasts, hunger strikes, and nonviolent harassment. I remember seeing the movie Iron Jawed Angels and watching the excruciating hunger strike that bold suffragists went on to secure the vote for women around 100 years ago physical and social methods such as sit-ins and stand-ins and pray-ins and walk-outs are other methods. As are economic and political interventions such as defiance of blockades, alternative markets, and disclosing identities of secret agents. These are just some of the 198 methods listed by the Albert Einstein Institution. If you want to explore them further and see more methods, you'll see the link in your chat for the end of the service. My friends, as we face escalating violence these days, an important skill is also to know how to de-escalate a situation. And to de-escalate, it's really important to slow things down. First of all, we need to ground ourselves in mind, body, and spirit. And then it helps to find common ground and diffuse others through curiosity or listening, even some gentle humor. You can also try and lower the temperature in a conflict through distraction and reducing tension. But at all times, we want to help facilitate people having access to the ways they most deeply really want to show up. And it also helps to remember our own goals and values. What is motivating you? If we don't have a worthy goal in mind, we turn into instigators instead of de-escalators. If our goals are justice, human dignity, responsibility, democracy, peace, and nonviolent change, then we have to embody these goals. Now, of course, righteous or well-earned anger may be justifiable, but it's best not to display that in a space when it could heighten or escalate tensions. 
So if a situation is potentially dangerous, then it's most important to reduce tensions and become as calm as possible to try and restore peace. So as we gather here this morning to consider how we can work for change nonviolently, and with potential threats of violence coming up this week, I wonder if there isn't a more peaceful alternative to work for the change some people hope for. I'm not sure that I know how to change the minds of the people perpetrating violence throughout our country right now, who may indeed be brainwashed. That will be the task of the new administration and all of us who want to change hearts and minds to figure this out. But I do know that violence is creating more havoc, more broken lives, more pain and more damage in an already sick and hurting people. Annihilating your enemy doesn't make the problem go away. Only negotiation, discussion, listening, advocacy, and learning more about each other really helps. And seeking truth. Power over another rarely changes hearts and minds. It is the way of authoritarians, the way of war, and the way of domination. Power with, on the other hand, which can be achieved through respect, dialogue, listening, collaborating, and adapting, has the capacity to change and bring people with you. And that is what we're working for through nonviolent action. So my friends, to practice the love we preach and grow in our capacity for nonviolent action, I invite all of you here to join us for the UUA's 30 Day of Love program, which begins today. Each week focuses on a different theme, beginning with living our values in the world, then hospitality and inclusion, followed by educating for liberation, and finally, restoration and reparations. There are interesting, fun activities, videos, and articles for you on the site, and you can get more information at this link in the chat. My beloveds, as we approach the inauguration of our new president this week and celebrate Martin Luther King Day with a National Day of Service tomorrow, May our country be inspired by the example of spiritual and political leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, Howard Thurman, and Mahatma Gandhi. May there be peace in our land. And may we always lead with love. Amen. May it be so.